I will be reading from the New International Version, 3 John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. The Elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. If you would like to hear more of Binha and would like to hear all seven of them, I know I would, what would two more be like added to that mix? Uh, their website is linked to ours, www.santaclaritasda.org. So take time to check out our website, and you'll see a link to our music today, and you can bless their ministry by going to their website. And Milt, uh, you mentioned he's got the whole world in his hands. My favorite version of that is sung by Leontine Price. Quite a, a powerful uh, version of that. And if you haven't heard it, it's, it's worth getting a hold of and then singing along with in the shower and wherever else you can. It's... We're talking about health, and frankly, uh, I sing in part for my health. I don't know if that makes any sense to all of you. I know it makes some sense to some of you. You see, there is something really beneficial spiritually and mentally about making a joyful noise. And there's something deeply uh, life-enriching if that joyful noise can somehow be aesthetically pleasing, can somehow be aurally tuned and somehow be uh, beautiful in some way. And there's something about the power of a lyric communicated in a song. I don't know about you, but I find myself singing hymns almost all day long, every day. It just, it isn't a conscious thing. It isn't where I've determined that I'm going to do this, or it's not some sort of spiritual discipline or exercise. Honestly, I don't even like all the hymns that I end up singing. They just pop into my head, and I just find myself humming or, or singing them. But even though that's not a conscious choice sometimes, it is something that ends up connecting me to something very healthy, and that something very healthy is the source of joy and life itself, the giver of life, our God. And so... I say uh, there's another there's an aerobic aspect to singing the filling of your lungs and the expansion of that and the the concentration but the way in which your brain is stimulated in new ways profound ways as you listen and as you produce sound both it's something I do to keep me balanced I can really feel my blood pressure drop unless of course I'm called upon to sing in front of somebody in some sort of soloish type fashion, in which case I feel my blood pressure skyrocket 
to very unhealthy uh, proportions. Um, and if you think I'm usually red, you, you take a look at me when I'm, I'm doing that. I will be uh, virtually neon. But it is nonetheless a wonderfully healthy thing. You can probably think of things that you do like singing for your health. Things that don't make the list of obvious do's and don'ts, but are nevertheless a part of what it might look like to live out health. Our text today is a powerful one. First John, oh, glad I have a pulpit here. I've got to put on my glasses. One of the things about being nevertheless healthy but older is that um, you both need glasses and forget that you need them. So third John, just a short letter really. has this nicety in it, but I think it's more than a nicety. I think it speaks for the heart of God. Can you hear that? This is more than politeness. I think this is the heart of God for you and for me. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now there's a context. And the truth being spoken of is the truth of Jesus Christ and the grace that comes from him. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. Now, I haven't done an extremely in-depth study in that particular passage to see if soul health is in this passage connected to physical health. It sounds like John is saying, at least in the English translated version, that he hopes that body health catches up with or matches soul health. But I think Adventists have the correct spin on this. It is difficult to experience soul health when you do not have physical health. And in fact, we see that model lived out in Jesus' ministry over and over and over again because he doesn't go to the pool of Bethesda to the man laying on his mat and say, so how is it with your soul? Would you like to talk? He doesn't say to the blind man, bummer. Wish there was something I could do. Here's a quarter. He doesn't even say, I wish you could see. He spits and makes mud and applies it to his eyes and tells him to go wash. So there's something about this Jesus' ministry and activity and healing that precedes something spiritual. There were those who, having been healed physically, come back to Jesus to fill the thirst in their souls. Last week we talked a bit about water. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, O God. It's an integral part of what it means, I think, in Christian terms, to truly be healthy. Now, you can go a different direction, too. You can talk about health 
in terms of Jesus addressing health first before soul health and so forth. But we could also go to Psalm 38, and I would invite you to do so. And we'll hear in this passage a very different understanding, and I think one that's also very valid. And that is how the sins of our lives contribute to a state of unhealth, if you will, poor health. I'm going to read the entire psalm, and I want you to listen or read along for those pieces that have to do with being broken down in relationship to our spiritual health as well. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me, and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome. Because of my sinful folly, I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All of my longings, they lie open to you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. I'm like a deaf man who cannot hear. Like a mute who can't open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord, my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips. For I am about to fall. And my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies, who hate me without reason. They are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil slander me when I pursue what is good. O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. The help that comes from the Lord is not just a help for the soul, is it? Do you hear in this passage David's issues or the psalmist's issues? He's dealing with hate. What is the natural human response to hate? Do you know? I hear anger. Revenge, hurt, withdrawal. The question was, what is the natural human response to hatred directed at us? To hate back. Sure, all of these things. 
when we experience or perceive that there is hatred directed toward us, we, we feel it, don't we? We want to respond, and our, our natural response is to pursue something negative, to feel something negative, to allow that hatred to work within. It's part of the impossibility of Jesus' command to love those who hate you and do good to those who abuse you. There is something remarkably healthy hidden in all of that, but something impossibly difficult as well. David is also dealing with his sin, the foot that slips, those things he he doesn't want to do or doesn't mean to do, but just happen. And then those sins that beset him, those sins that have taken over his life, those festering problems that he doesn't seem to be able to get rid of. He talks of his loneliness and his isolation, his socially outcast position and his depression. I wish the Bible used depressed more often. Depression is an enormous health issue in America. I don't have an accurate statistic for you because there are different statistics published. But it's widely thought that at least 27% of the population is quite depressed at any given time. That's a huge number of people that are affected by depression. Some of you have problems with chronic depression. Hopefully you're on medication and you're doing all the different things that will promote health for your life. Some of us are subject to situational depression. We've lost a job or a loved one. We're struggling with something in particular. Some of us have kind of ups and downs and have little seasons of depression. David is battling it. You can see it in his life. What he wants is for the healing of God. What he wants is to be restored. And for him, that restoration starts spiritually. It starts in the soul. So biblically, we have it both ways. The Adventist Matrix for Health was listed in the pastor's corner, or pastor's notes. Most of you know it cold. So I don't want to bore you with... Uh, that to too great an extent, but for those of you who don't know it, it bears a, re- a review, and we can just talk a little bit about some of those pieces. New Start, N-E-W-S-T-A-R-T. N for nutrition. Last week, I was here bearing my soul, confessing that I like my fat with salt, <laughs> confessing that I like my sugar with fat, Now, in case you don't understand what I mean by that, that's what a cupcake is. Sugar with fat. Okay? If you don't know what a French fry is, that's fat with salt. I love these things. Most of you do too. And I've learned to substitute sweet potato fries for regular fries, and then I learned they have twice the calories. And I'm wondering why it's difficult to shed extra pounds. Nutrition is a challenge for each of us because of the busyness of our lives. If there's anything 
that Adventists could embrace as wisdom for nutrition, it might be a Sabbath-type understanding of time. That is to say, we not only pause for a day in the weekly cycle, but we pause appropriately within a day to meet nutritional needs. That does not mean McDonald's fish and chips. That does not include a McFlurry. That is not about running and getting a pastrami sandwich with mayonnaise on white bread that's this thick. Delicious, maybe, but not necessarily everything your body needs. If we could slow the pace of our lives down just a little bit, we might find that nutrition isn't quite the challenge that it currently is. Because one of the things I can tell you honestly, and anybody... Who's tried Weight Watchers? Two of you? I doubt it. I bet more of you have tried Weight Watchers than that. You just don't want to admit your utter and complete failure, right? Or that you did lose 30 pounds and put back on 36 when you uh, quit Weight Watchers and decided you could eat anything you wanted. No, Weight Watchers is very good. It's one of the better programs out there, and a lot of people have long-term success with weight loss because they learn new ways of living. And that's what Adventism wants to teach us too, new ways of understanding nutrition and new ways of living that. And they will tell you, make no bones about it, to prepare fresh vegetables, to buy and purchase fresh fruits, to keep an adequate supply of these things, to make things from scratch so that, you you know, restaurants have no conscience. None. How many of you like pasta? Oh, I got a few more than Weight Watchers on that one. Uh, About two-thirds of you said you like pasta, and I'm guessing another 20% of you just didn't raise your hands or are lying. It's, it's, uh, It's tremendous, isn't it? All right, we like pasta, nothing wrong with that, can, can be a very good nutritional source, but if you ever get pasta at an Italian restaurant in town and then take it home and put it in the refrigerator and pull it out the next day, what do you see? The equivalent of a cube of butter. Am I wrong? Seriously, if you pulled it out and mashed it all together, in one little take-home container, it would be at least half a cube of butter. Am I lying? Especially if it's fettuccine Alfredo, and I know you like fettuccine Alfredo. See, that's fat mixed with fat mixed with salt. (laughs) Fabulous. How do you lose? Well, you don't lose, actually. So, we know that restaurants don't have a conscience, But if you make it yourself, you can control what type of fat and how much fat you put in it. Olive oil is actually really good for you. I like butter better, but I love olive oil too. And a little olive oil with your pasta, you're on much, much happier ground where your body is concerned. I leave it to you to find the ways in which you can make nutrition work, but I want to encourage you that it is a process that requires thought and time. We're not going to get it running to fast food places or eating quickly on the fly or taking in 80% of our food at restaurants. Nutrition is going to require more thought than that. What's the next one? Exercise? Yes. Did you know 
that walking one hour three times a week in women reduces the risk of heart disease over 27%. It reduces the risk of cancer as well. Did you know that walking an hour a day seven times a week, over 50% reduction in the risk of heart disease? That's just walking. And that's just for a period of an hour. Now, most of us can probably do about three miles in that time. Maybe a little more. But just that simple step will prevent diabetes. Huge decrease in diabetes with daily walking. Even three times a week, diabetes has helped. Even if you don't lose weight, prevention is added. This helps with cancer. Did you know that men have 83% less chance of getting colorectal cancer if they walk an hour a day, seven days a week? What a wonder moving around is for our bodies. What a wonder. And I know if you're like me, you would rather have that second cappuccino and watch something on TV than go exercise. Or maybe your thing is something else. Maybe it's those, what are those called that they serve at the theater? Those little ice cream bits? Ah, you know what they are. Gotcha. Maybe you dibs. You would rather go have a packet of dibs and watch something than go out and exercise. Don't blame you. Exercise doesn't always feel good at the time that we're doing it. But it's wonderfully life-giving, wonderfully life-saving, and wonderfully life-enhancing. I was talking about tap water last week and a 94-year-old woman was present and she indicated that she does drink bottled water for convenience and I wanted to give you this commercial quickly. If your water is no good because of your well or because of the city you live in or something like that, by all means, drink filtered water or drink bottled water if you must. But my point was that we don't need to go to special lengths. We just need to drink water there. But she came up to me and said, I said, do you do anything besides drink tap water? She goes, well, I exercise every day. I said, what do you do? She goes, I do 4,000 steps at a jog, 94 years old. And she modeled it for me. She says, I sweat, I get in the shower, I take a hot shower, in the last 10 seconds, I turn it to full cold. She said, I don't luxuriate in it. And I thought to myself, how could you? <laughs> but I do that. Simple stuff that our grandparents did that makes so much sense for health. Here she is, 94, and she takes time every morning to put on her little jogging suit or do whatever she does, stand by her bed and do this, this simple movement. What are you doing to move? W, water, we covered that last week. Start, the first one is S for sunshine. Did you know that 20 minutes of sunshine exposure a day for three days a week significantly, significantly keeps depression away? This is why if you struggle, for example, with depression, getting adequate water, making sure you're getting plenty of nutrition, 
taking a walk outside every day and getting that fresh air and that sunshine will drastically reduce your chances of suffering significantly from it. Now, I've got to give you this advertisement. If you're going outside in August with no sunscreen for eight minutes even, you are at risk of getting burnt. The sun is a bright thing, and UV can cause damage to our skin that can lead to skin cancer. Everybody knows this. So be wise about this. But we are sitting in a well-lit room. The sunshine that we see outside is actually a mood elevator for us right now. Did you know that? And just brief exposures can help us metabolize and utilize and create an essential vitamin, vitamin D. Simple but profound. There are people in this world who go to the office at 6 a.m. They don't come home until 8 p.m. and all they ever see is darkness and fluorescent light. If you're one of these people, take time to get outside. Take a lunch break. Take an afternoon break. Take a 15-minute walk. Sit outside on a park bench. Do something to get yourself out and with the sunshine. T is for temperance, and I I see that our time is slipping away rapidly, so I just wanted to uh, touch on this one a bit. This was last week's bulletin cover. Did you see it last week? Did you remember what it says? It says, lips that touch liquor shall not touch ours, and it looks like a bunch of sour women. I thought to myself, well, that's just fine with me. Wait a minute. The temperance movement was huge when Seventh-day Adventist Church was getting started. Huge. And it covered a lot of things. But it covered primarily abstinence from harmful, harmful things. That's really what temperance is. Some of you remember signing a temperance card when you were in JV. Anybody do that? All right. Yes, some of you did that. Well, what temperance basically says is that unlike moderation, we will avoid those things that are harmful or potentially harmful to our bodies. Now, I think temperance has fallen on hard times because we've set the standard very high in our denomination. I confessed my appreciation for coffee last week, for example. That's on the no-do list. Caffeinated beverages of any kind are out by church standard. So my mother, the closet Pepsi drinker, is really just as guilty as the rest of us. She had to hide it from my father, you know. I mean, we wouldn't, wouldn't want this sin to become a, a problem within the home or the marriage, and certainly not a bad influence on us kids. Well, I, I think we need to be sensible here. Um, Drugs in general are out. Tobacco is out. Alcohol is out. I think if we're thoughtful and careful in our understandings of what each of these things are and our use or not use, be very, very good. For many of you, The old hard line, none of that works. For some of you, it doesn't. And we need to be sensible about this. Most drugs 
are never going to be helpful to you unless limited and prescribed by your doctor. And even then, prescription drug abuse is at an all-time high in the United States. Some of you suffer with that. Some of you struggle with alcohol because a percentage of people who drink, even the first time, become so attracted to it that it becomes an addiction in their lives and it becomes a problem and they, they struggle with that. So there's lots of literature about alcohol and health that would suggest that we're better to avoid that. There is some literature that suggests a glass of red wine can be associated with uh, better heart health and a few other things, but the risks in general make that a very strong cautionary uh, uh, thing. If you think about the longevity cultures featured in National Geographic, there were three of them. One was Loma Linda, California. That's a group that doesn't that holds the standard of no alcohol. Another group was in Japan, and another group was in Sicily or Sardinia? Sardinia, out of Italy there. They attribute their longevity to good pecorino, pecorino cheese and red wine. Go figure. What we want to do is be aware that our bodies are temples of the living God and be sensible about our intake of potentially addictive or harmful things. Caffeine and coffee, as it turns out, actually have a number of health benefits. If you're drinking 8 to 10 cups a day, you could be damaging your heart or causing an arrhythmia. If you're drinking 8 to 10 cups a day, you're likely to uh, increase your risk of PMS, ladies, by sevenfold. In fact, one cup of coffee a day in women can increase the risk of PMS by 30%. So be wise, be cautious, be temperate. Air, do I need to talk about that? Sit up, breathe deeply. When you're exercising, you will be breathing deeply. If it's an air warning day, don't go outside and exercise. Be sensible. R is what? Rest. How many of you never go to bed before 11 o'clock? Oh, dear. I see health reform on the horizon. Every study on sleep says that your best hour of sleep is between 11 p.m. and 12 midnight. That is the hour universally that our bodies benefit the most from actually being asleep we will have a greater sense of restedness. Now, I don't say this to condemn those of you who aren't in bed by 11. I had two nights this week in which I wasn't in bed by 11. Our lives are like that sometimes. And occasionally, I think there's nothing to be lost there. But America is chronically underrested. How many of you are getting four to six hours of sleep a night? You are chronically underrested. Now, as you get older, it's harder to sleep for long periods of time or maintain sleep. And it appears that the requirements of the body actually diminish a bit. I'm not too concerned about you. But if you're a young person and you're sleeping four to six hours a night, you are on a burnout track. Your body was never made... Well, okay, i got to be careful here. There are rare individuals, rare, I'm I'm betting they're one in 100,000 or 200,000, who are just nuclear fission in, in the body. I mean, they are... Have you met any of these people? 
they're like geniuses and very creative and whatever, and their minds are always really active, and they're just frenetic, basically. They sleep maybe two, three, four hours a night. Have you ever heard of people like this? No? I feel sorry for them. There's nothing normal about their existence. Slowing down for that long is just incredibly difficult for them. Thankfully, I don't have that problem. But, but apart from very rare individuals like this, most of us need at least six and upwards of eight hours of sleep. Our children need eight to ten, sometimes more. Even teenagers who tell us that they want to stay up till midnight, one, two, three. Believe me, I have one, I know. Sleep is an essential part of mental health. We solve a lot of our anxieties and problems and our spiritual issues while we sleep and dreaming. And we only get to dream states adequately when we've gone to bed in time to take advantage of deep sleep. Any study will confirm that for you. So take time to rest, not just spiritually in the Lord, but take time to enjoy sleep. There's a wisdom in old world countries. I'm going to frame it in terms of Jewish wisdom. But the in my grandfather's era, the wise people from the old countries, whether it was the Netherlands or whether they were Jewish or something else, would say this. Always buy two things. If you're poor, buy two good things. Do you know what they are? A good mattress and good shoes. That's wisdom. Why? Because if we care for our bodies, everything else begins to fall into line. We can work, we can earn, we can praise, we can live. We've got to take care of ourselves. Finally, the last one is what? T4. Trust in God. Seventh-day Adventists live longer than the average population, not just because we like cheese instead of meat, although that's part of it. Seventh-day Adventists live longer than the average population, not just because we avoid tobacco and drugs and alcohol and so forth. But we live longer than the average population because we have faith in God and his working in our lives. And I want to tell you, as your pastor and one who loves and cares about you, I am concerned about our congregation at times on this because I see anxiety at levels that I would not want to see in the body of Christ. Trusting in God is a discipline that we need to learn. It doesn't mean burying our heads in the sand and denying that there's something threatening or difficult about our lives. It doesn't mean burying our heads in the sand and pretending that we don't see what is around us. It doesn't mean that we aren't concerned or don't express our concern about certain realities, whether they be political or social or at work. But Jesus said so plainly, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. And we worry. We worry. We're anxious. We're busy. And Jesus says, come. I am living bread and living water. Learn of me. Give yourself to me. Trust in me. And I will give you life. 
And now, O Lord, as we leave this place, we pray for the strength to take on the responsibilities of caring for our bodies and our minds, that our souls may be restored, that we may be part of the health plan you've designed, one inevitably better than any Congress could devise. We ask that you will grant us your peace as you have given us your grace and your love. To this end we pray, amen.